Well, you're tuned in to the uh, Raised by Whoops Fake Radio Show. Uh, my name is Glenn, and today I am here with uh, the other member of this podcast, Andrew. Um, how's it going? Pretty good, man. Pretty good. How about you? I'm doing okay, thanks. Um, yeah, I had to do the uh, intro solo last week, but uh, good to have you back on. It's it's nice to have um, that sort of security blanket. You know, I I don't like doing things on my own. So, well, you're much better at it, man. This is this is solely I created this solely for myself. It was very selfish to create the uh, the the two the two man intro. You do great. Yeah, and I quite liked your episode last week. Oh well, thanks, thank you, I appreciate that. And and my my wife, who's not a regular listener, she's an irregular listener. Uh, she she tuned in and said she really enjoyed it, really liked Jordan. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, so so um, she doesn't listen all that regularly. I mean, well, she, I, I don't know. I shouldn't say that. She probably catches them when she can, but you know, I mean, she's a pillow away from me, so she gets enough of you know. This voice is kind of overdone. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah. Okay, I, I get that. Yeah, I would, I would not expect her to listen ever, you know. But uh, that that she does tune in is nice, and she tuned in and specifically made mention of how much she liked your episode. Well, I really appreciate that. Okay, so yeah, you were gone last week. You were, uh, you were away uh, in the Rocky Mountains. Yeah. Um, can you just? tell people what you're up to like i say i know you did some fa- i know you did some family stuff but uh, i was just wondering if you did anything fun uh the whole thing was it was extremely enriching it was fun it was um it was a lot yeah i went to see my uncle i have an uncle who's 85 years old and has pancreatic cancer and the guy has more energy than i do he's kind of incredible and i went there with the the premise was I was going to record as much of his life story as he felt like telling me. And, uh, six and a half hours of audio later, two days of hanging out with him. I'm so blown away by my uncle. I just didn't really know him very well. We haven't seen each other in 20 plus years, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was one of the most enriching experiences I've had in a long time. Um, Wow. And before that, before that, I got to hang out with a good friend, a guy who actually re- I recorded and I'll, I'll release an episode with him. Uh, my buddy, Brett, who, uh, who's just a trip. He's from Memphis. I hung out with him. I went down to this river in Boulder, Colorado, mm-hmm. where Brett and his brother, Mitch, uh, his, his brother was like up in this tree suspended over the river. And uh, we picked up like 600 donut holes so you could throw them to the people who were floating down the river uh, <laughs> on tube to work boulder uh, day. So it was like, you know, just hundreds of people floating down the river wearing like khakis and, you know, sport coats and shit. Did, it, did you say hilarious. donut holes? Yes. Which is, it, yeah, like the little, just little donut globules. He was throwing tiny donuts at people. Okay. Yeah. I think <laughs> like, we, we call them uh, Timbits up here. Yeah. Timbits? Oh, Tim, like Bits, Tim Horton? Yeah. Is it a Tim yeah. Horton's reference? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Boy, that so. guy's got the, he's got the lockdown on a bunch of shit, man. He's even got like <laughs> names of objects. Yeah, it's like Kleenex or something. Yeah, yeah. They, yeah. Anyways. Uh, so yeah, I did that. Uh, I, I got to hang out with my buddy, played a bunch of music, uh, ate good food, and then uh, I got to see my nephew. Got a great um uh, 
mean, I've got a, kind of all great nieces and nephews, but I have a a nephew in the Air Force Academy out there. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, yeah, got to spend some time with him. Super cool, very interesting kid. And then uh, spent another night with my buddy Brett and his brother's family. Uh, it, it was a really, really good time, man. Just uh, I feel very, I was emotionally drained and filled up at the same time, if that makes any sense. I can't yeah. imagine it does. But. Yeah, that's got to be one. That's one of the, that's like a top five feeling, I think. At least top five, maybe top three. Yeah. Enriched and, and wiped out at the same time. Yeah. 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 Um, all right. Well, I mean, maybe you'll share some more of that story going forward on the podcast, I'm sure, um, you know, uh, in future intros and whatnot. Uh, and then you said you're going to release that one with Brett. So I'm looking forward yeah. to that. Um, today's episode is um, with a a lady by the name of uh, Tamara Saviano. And um, she's from Milwaukee originally, but she lives in uh, Nashville. Um, she's worked in the uh, in the music industry there in Nashville for 28 years um, as a marketing strategist and a, a PA, uh, sorry, a, a public relations um, person. Um, but she's also produced like a series of tribute albums. Uh, she's uh, by Jackson Brown, Chris Christopherson, Guy Clark, and she also did a tribute to Sun Records. Um, with oh, nice. uh, somebody you're probably familiar with, uh, she produced it with Luther Dickinson from the uh, North Mississippi All Stars. Yeah, I know Luther. Yeah, and um, yeah, and she's a filmmaker and an author, and um, she wrote a, a memoir. She wrote a biography on Guy Clark, the legendary songwriter. She did a documentary on Guy Clark, and that's kind of how I came across her work. And it's TamaraSaviano.com for more info on everything I just mentioned there. Um, it's a good talk, and I'll just I'll let the conversation speak for itself. And yeah, I just also just wanted to say, you know, please, I've heard other, you know, people with podcasts say stuff like follow on Spotify and, you know, give us ratings and reviews and et cetera. So I, I, I do want to reiterate that um, because I think it does help people, you know, find the show and, and whatnot. And as fellow podcaster, Joe Pug says it, it helps us more than it will be a pain in the ass for you. So, um, so please, if you could just hit the follow button or give us a rating, um, I detest saying stuff like that, but you know, if we're going to do this thing, we, we need to, we need to uh, try to get some listeners on board. Well, if that were always the barrier for entry for, for nice things, like if it was just less of a pain in the ass for you than it was nice for me or vice versa. That, that'd be great. If that, we could just make that the new standard of care for how to get along in the world. <laughs> exactly. I couldn't agree yeah. more. Um, well, I'm looking forward to hearing about uh, Guy Clark and this writer and this very, very industrious guest of yours. Yeah. Yeah. She, she wears a lot of hats and she's a lovely woman and we had a great talk and um, yeah, um, I'm uh Glad to bring it to y'all, uh, and go to moreonbook.com to uh, to have a look at Andrew's book, or to purchase it, or to read it. Give it a review too if you buy that one. Oh yeah, it's a, uh, it's sorry, it's 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 that book, that very book you just happened to so kindly mention, is free for the next five days. If you're listening to this on on Friday, it'll be free from Friday until uh, what is it? That Tuesday? Is that, that five days? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
No yeah, shit. So from the 21st to the 25th free on uh, Kindle, like the digital download for free. So if you were if you were looking for a reason not to buy my book, you can at least have it to criticize and tell yourself, well, at least I'm not that. Right. You know, <laughs> and for free. Well, that's very gracious of you. Um, all right. Well, there you go, folks. You heard it there. Um, so enjoy the episode. Um, go check out Andrew's book and check out Tamara's website, tam- tamarasaviano.com. And the song you'll hear in this episode is Rain in Durango by the aforementioned Guy Clark. Take it easy, everyone, and uh, we will talk to you next time around. Adios. She's a long way from Houston, long way from them old Texas blues. She came down from Tayride on a steam train bound for somewhere new. There's a rainbow in the mountains And she's waiting on the sun to shine on true But you can't tell the tears from the rain If you ain't walked a mile in the boots Standing in the rain in Durango Right side of wrong side gone standing in the rain in Durango he's waiting on some cowboy last over hard and take her home I'm here with uh, Tamara Saviano. Uh, Tamara is an author, a Grammy Award-winning music producer, a filmmaker, and a marketing and public relations professional. Um, She's worked on projects with a number of notable people in the country and Americana music world, including Guy and Susanna Clark, Luther Dickinson, Jackson Brown, Jimmy LaFave, and Randy Scruggs. Um, She has also worked closely with her friend, Chris Christofferson over the last two decades as caretaker of the Christofferson legacy. Um, there's a lot I'm leaving out regarding Tamara and her uh, prolific career, but um, I hope this provides an adequate snapshot. Uh, I first came to know of Tamara's work through her 2016 biography on legendary songwriter Guy Clark. Uh, a few years later, Tamara teamed up with Paul Whitfield and Bart Nags to produce a documentary on Guy and Susanna Clark, entitled Without Getting Killed or Caught. Um, I can't recommend these two projects highly enough. Um, I've also recently listened to the audiobook version of Tamara's memoir, The Most Beautiful Girl, A True Story of a Dad, a Daughter, and the Healing Power of Music. Um, It was a captivating listen, uh, albeit at times uh, emotionally difficult. Um, The memoir details the story of Tamara's upbringing in the Milwaukee area with her stepfather, mother, and siblings. I'm grateful that Tamara has agreed to talk about some of her work with me, and she joins me now. Thank you very much. Hello, Glenn. So, uh, I don't think we've ever had a Grammy Award winner on our humble little show here before, so uh, that's kind of exciting for me. Um, (laughs) And I just, I briefly just wanted to touch on that. Um, You won a Grammy for your production work on Beautiful Dreamer, Songs of Stephen Foster, and uh, I kind of have a soft spot for Stephen Foster because um, 
my dad, uh, he, I, I mean, I think he enjoyed a lot of Foster's work, but in particular, he really loved the song Beautiful Dreamer, and he would, you know, uh, talk about that quite often. And then we were on a family vacation one time in the southern U.S., and he detoured us to uh, White Springs, Florida, to uh, to visit the Stephen Foster Folk Culture Center State Park. And um, so, yeah, he's always kind of been a, a figure in my household growing up. And, and I was just wondering, what's your relationship and connection to Foster's music, and, and just what was the impetus for that project? Um, well, it wasn't my idea. I wish it was because it was a great idea. But my friend David Macias, um, who I co-produced the record with, along with our friend Steve Fischel, um, David and I were kicking around the idea of doing some projects together. And David said that that was something he always wanted to do was a t- Stephen Foster tribute. And the minute he said it, I was in because when I was a kid, um, I lived uh, in the same neighborhood with my grandparents and great grandparents. Um, I was very lucky to have them for a long time. And my great grandfather, when he, um, for his 18th birthday, when he uh, was getting out of high school, his parents gave him this big music box. It's called a, uh, a Regina or a Regina, depending on who you ask, but it's R E G I N A. And, um, it's big, uh, metal discs with, holes punched in them and it's it's just like you know if you would buy a small music box only it's huge and you actually put the disc in to play like you would a record player that was the latest technology in 1918 so my my great-grandfather oliver would play records for us on the regina and uh stephen foster's my old kentucky home was one of those days and that's you know so i just had this love for stephen foster from that um, then when we started working on the project and digging into it and digging into his catalog, um, and at the time, you know, when I was in school, I'm, I'm 62 years old. So when I was in elementary school, we learned Stephen Foster songs to sing, but they had stopped doing that, uh, by the time my daughter was in school because of the racism. And, uh, there's no doubt about it. You, you know, a lot of what Foster did, you know, especially with the blackface minstrelly, was racist. But if you put um, Stephen Foster in the context of that time in the 1860s, um, he was really quite progressive. He stopped doing it when he realized that it was insulting to black people. He was the first person to uh, refer to an African-American woman as a lady. And Nellie was a lady. Um he was against slavery, you know, so in the context of his time, Stephen Foster was actually a progressive. Um, so I felt oh, wow. we had okay. to tell that story as well. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Thank you for that. Um, yeah, I, I don't really know much about Stephen Foster or his life. Um, just sort of that he's an, an American cultural, you know, giant in some ways. And, he was the uh, first professional yeah. American songwriter, the very first. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think I, I also, I think he was from Pittsburgh, if I'm not mistaken. I, th- I think I've wandered around that neighborhood, yeah, Lawrenceville or something. So yeah, uh, very cool. Um, and then do, do, what do you remember from that, uh, from that Grammy ceremony? Was, was that, um, you, you know, uh, was that? Uh, yeah, we, um, you know, we were nominated for a Grammy, which was shocking on its own, you know, 
it was the first record uh, that I put out in my label, my nonprofit label, which was called American Roots Publishing. Um, it was such a weird, you know, uh, Stephen Foster, you know, I didn't even know people knew who he was anymore. Um, <laughs> it was a very Americana record. And that was in 2004. And Americana was a very early genre at that point. Um, so the um, we were nominated for and won best traditional folk album and um yeah it was it was shocking and thrilling and you know all that stuff um and and winning and winning awards and being nominated for awards is nice but i do it for the actual work i like the work part of it you know so making the record uh was way more fun than winning the grammy right okay all right uh so i mentioned in your in, in the intro there that i i just uh, listen to uh, um, the most beautiful girl. You know, I I I had read your Guy Clark biography shortly after watched the documentary, and then you know when we were in contact back in first in contact about talking back in March or April, you know I I realized that you'd written this memoir, and I thought you know I, this sounds pretty interesting. Um, so uh, just a few weeks back, I I. I went on Audible and uh, and and I usually read, but I, I listened to this one and yeah, I just got to say it was a yeah a really um, just sort of engrossing piece of work. Like I, I I think it was a six and a half hours or something on Audible, and I did it in like yeah I did it in like two three hour chunks or something, and uh, it just it moved along really um, quickly and and uh, like I said, you know, it was emotional and difficult at times, but um, but it was fantastic. And so, I, you know, and, and just for listeners, you know, it just sort of details Tamara's volatile relationship with her, her stepfather uh, who raised her from birth. Um, I related to a few things in it, like my dad and I didn't have as volatile of a relationship as you and your stepdad. But, you know, we we had some shaky times, um, but he also got me into songwriting in a big way. And so I related to that aspect of, of the memoir, um, you know, and you also talked about, you know, spending time in northern Wisconsin, you know, in, at Maple View and up near Eagle River. And um, and you talked about like hunting and snowmobiling. And I grew up in a very rural setting as well. So, you know, there was just a lot of fami familiar territory in that book uh, that I sort of related to. Um, I'm getting to a question here, but uh, <laughs> um, when we started our little show here back uh, about a year and a half ago, we do mostly interviews now, but we started doing uh, short stories, narrating like memoir style short stories. And, um, you know, we talked, we wrote, uh, me and my partner, Andrew, wrote a lot about um, family and personal relationships with, with family and stuff. And I just found myself really uncomfortable writing about that sort of material, like writing about family, writing about personal stuff and I started questioning like am I this much of an open book or am I more of a private person like I, I, I was questioning all that stuff and but it was oddly sort of cathartic in a way yeah. as well writing about that stuff and I was just wondering like you know what your uh, what you were like emotionally writing some of that stuff like did you struggle with how much of your past to reveal and can you just talk about what other emotions came up when you were writing oh that? every emotion uh sadness anger frustration grief fear 
uh, joy, you know, and what I have learned, uh, and I try to remember this, it's hard, but you can hold all of those feelings and emotions at the same time. You know, uh, my, my stepdad was very complicated and he was an alcoholic and, um, I used to be very bitter and resentful. And now I can look at him from a place of compassion and even love because I did love him. Um, I was a child, so I wasn't in a position, you know, to help him. Uh, of, of course, we can't help anybody unless they want it, you know. Um, yeah. But so writing, I was working through all of that, you know. And um, although the relationship with my dad was abusive and complicated and at times loving and joyful, um the thing that, you know, what made me want to write about it is initially is that he instilled in me this love of music um, that has stayed with me my entire life and provided me with a career I love. And, um, you know, what a gift that was. So that's how it all started was just and he died and we hadn't spoken in 10 years. And I was trying to work that out, you know, Um so, yeah, uh, it, it was cathartic and it was also hard and it was, you know, and, and also my mom, you know, was mad at me after the book came out. Um, so was it worth it? I don't know. My mom and I came to terms on it, but um, I didn't like that she was so upset. And I, you know, wonder now if I could have handled things differently. Um, you know, I'll never know. I did it. Um I don't regret it though, because I mean, I don't, you know, I did it and I don't really regret it because I've heard some from so many people that have had similar stories and they said it helped them. And so I thought, well, okay, if it helped even one person, um, then it was worth it. You know, we're all in this human condition yeah. together and there's a lot of painful parts of life and. Uh, we all have it in different ways, you know, so I, I like the connecting with other humans part. Yeah, yeah. And I just appreciate that you can kind of turn, you know, hardship into art like that, too. I mean, there's too many stories of people kind of, you know, just turning inward and, and not ever talking about things. So, um, yeah, I really appreciate that. Like whenever I see somebody write about difficult things, it's. I, I just really admire that, uh, that aspect of it. Um, and you know, you, you definitely had a difficult upbringing and, and, uh, but you know, you've, um, you know, look at all that you've accomplished as well. So, uh, it, it's, it's pretty unbelievable. So, uh, yeah, thanks for, thanks for talking about that. Um, and I, I've heard you talk about this before. Um, but just for the listeners, can you just talk a little bit about like how a person from, you know, Milwaukee, um, you know, gets so deep into like the Texas songwriting tradition. And, and I, I know you mentioned your father instilled that in you, but can you just talk a little bit of, like anecdotally about how that came about? Yeah. Well, Guy Clark was my entrance. And, and when I was 14 years old in 1975, uh, old number one came out his first record. And my dad didn't own that record, but on Saturdays, my dad and his best friend, Rudy, um, would get together in our basement and play records for each other, you know, turn each other onto records. My dad was really into like Memphis soul stuff and Rudy was more into country and folk. And 
So uh, one Saturday, I, you know, Rudy came over and had guys old number one with him. And I was just hanging out in the basement listening to them. And they were talking and, you know, drinking probably. And uh, they put on old number one. And the first song on that record is Rita Ballou. Uh She's a walking, talking Texas check te- texture. Um, you know, I, I mean, I can't come up with the lyrics right now, but the lyrics to that song are so vivid texas you know yeah yeah it was like what is this and i grabbed the uh the sleeve the vinyl sleeve and the um you know the the lyrics were printed and it said words and music by guy clark and and yeah and i've said this many times you know i must have been a really dumb 14 year old but that was the first time that it dawned on me that someone was sitting down and writing these songs as if they're short stories um and i was hooked and um, yeah. when, you know, went down that rabbit hole, of, it didn't, not immediately, but, you know, over years, you know, because teenagers, I was a teenager and teenagers are very fickle about their uh, music. But over the years, I started, you know, exploring, pulling on those threads and uh, yeah, led me to Texas and Americana and that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, now, was Guy like in the mid 70s, like if somebody had a Guy Clark record, would that be I'm just try, like he was still like an independent artist at that time like he he, he wasn't he was, necessarily necessarily in the mainstream at well, that time he was he had a big record deal on RCA Records in Nashville and they you know I didn't know this then in the 70s but I know it now they had hoped to break him as a country artist um of course that never happened um because guys a little too you know, left of center or whatever you want to call it. He didn't fit in that country radio thing. Um, and I've got nothing against country radio. I, you know, I, I grew up on country radio. I worked in country radio in the nineties, but um, that, that just wasn't guy. He was not a country artist. So, but RCA put out two records on him, old number one and Texas cooking. And then he moved over to Warner brothers, another big label and put out three records before he finally stopped and went to be an independent. None of those records sold well, but they all, or most of them had really high critical acclaim, like the press loved them. So Guy had sort of a cult following in the, in the seventies and the early eighties. Um, okay. Very small audience though. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I was just wondering what sort of what his popularity was at that time. Um, now, like today, like your listening habits today, like, like, or even back then, like, have you always sort of gravitated to, I know you said you, you have nothing against country radio and, and you, you enjoy that as well, but would you say you're more partial to like more underground songwriters or? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I would say that, you know, like I grew up in the 70s, you know, I was a teenager in the 70s and um, I was really into singer songwriters. So that whole uh, LA stuff that was going on in Laurel Canyon and the Troubadour and Linda Ronstadt and Jackson Brown and the Eagles. And, you know, I loved that kind of stuff, which was very popular on radio in the seventies and, you know, yeah. Carol King. And, and so that sort of led me to other singer songwriters like Emmylou Harris and, um, you know, even Dolly Parton, um, who was Dolly's been so versatile, you know, and, I always loved the songs. I always loved the lyrics with the melody. So, you know, uh, like I'm a huge Beatles fan. 
huge Beatles fan. I love that kind of pop music, but the, you know, also I was a huge, still am Elton John. Oh, nice. Elton John's melodies and Bernie Taupin's lyrics. And you have this perfection in my mind, you know, so it, it really, I love songs and the people that know how to deliver these songs that have meaningful lyrics. And, you know, as in my generation, you know, there was, there was no other way to really discover music except for the radio, unless you would go into record stores and ask the people that worked at the record stores and say, look, I like this, this, and this, what should I listen to? Which I would do, you know? Um, right. uh, but we all sort of come to, you know, our discovery of music, I guess, with what we have. And that's what I had in the seventies was radio. And my dad, my dad, his friends, you know, you know, I was eat, I was hungry to hear whatever was playing, you know, but I had pretty varied taste. You know, I loved, I loved David Bowie and I loved Queen and I loved Cheap Trick, you know, and I loved uh, Willie Nelson and, you know, Dolly Parton and Loretta Lynn, you know, so I was kind of all over the place. Nice. Yeah, that's, that's cool. Um, uh, so uh, before we uh, leave, uh, we got started by talking about your memoir. I, before we leave that, I just wanted to know, like, do, um, do you still, uh, like, do you still have a connection with Wisconsin? Do you still go up there often, property and stuff? Or I don't, I don't have any property there, but I go there a lot. You know, try to get there a couple times a year, not in the winter. Uh, yeah, yeah. If it wasn't for winter, I'd live there. Um, I really would because I love Wisconsin so much, and I'm still so attached to Lake Michigan which I grew up on Lake Michigan and then the interior lakes in Northern Wisconsin. And I, you know, you know, yeah, I am, I've been gone from there for 28 years and I'm still homesick. Um, but I'm an old lady now and I cannot handle winter. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's what prevents me from going back. I see. Okay. So yeah, just, uh, I'll switch gears here. Just, uh, I wanted to talk, uh, a little bit about, uh, a little bit more about Guy Clark. So, um, you know, I heard you say that, you know, you started working like PR for Guy, right? Um, like in the late 90s? I met Guy in 98 when I was an editor at Country Music Magazine. Started my own company in 2002 with Christofferson as my first client. No, I didn't. I didn't start. I knew Guy. We were Guy and I were friends, but I didn't start working with him as a uh, doing PR until 2006 when Workbench songs came out. But, but by then we had known each other for quite a while and I had written like some media materials for the dark and, you know, we, Nashville's a very small music town, so I'd see him all the time, but didn't officially start working with him till Workbench songs. Okay. Um, and then when did you express interest or, or when did you sort of come to him about writing the biography? So two years later, uh, 2008, um, I, and what, again, this wasn't my idea. <laughs> I get these ideas from other people and then I do that, you know, I'm like, oh, I guess, I'll, yeah, I'll do that. But I was in uh, Austin for South by Southwest and I was having lunch at the Texas Chili Parlor of Dublin Blues fame. Yeah. Um, with Gary Hartman, who at the time was the uh, director for the Center for Texas Music History at Texas State University. And Guy called me while we were sitting at the Chili Parlor and which was just a funny coincidence. Yeah, how and, appropriate. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I hung up the phone and um 
you know, we were laughing. The guy called me and then Gary said, you know, do you ever think about writing a uh, guy's biography? Cause we would publish it. Cause they have a music series. Um, uh, they publish a music series in conjunction with Texas A&M university press. And I said to Gary, I said, well, that would be fun. I would love that. But guy would never cooperate and I wouldn't do it <laughs> without guy. Cause I just never thought guy would cooperate ever, you know? And Gary said, well, why don't you ask him? So I did. And Guy said, yes. <laughs> I was really surprised that I still didn't believe him because Guy wasn't the kind of person to wear his heart on his sleeve and didn't really tell you a lot, you know, about himself. And I, and I, so I said to him, I said, look, Guy, you know, I want you to talk to me about everything, introduce me to all your friends and family, tell them to talk to me about everything. And then I'm going to go away and write this book and you can't read it. You know, you can't approve it. And he uh, he just kind of took a big old hit off his joint and said, that sounds fair to me, Tamara. So uh, I did. I started, you know, I, I said, well, we'll start. And then if I don't feel like I'm getting anything, I'll cut my losses. But the very first story he told me, and if you've seen the film and read the book, you know how important this is, was the story about the turquoise ring he wore. Yeah. He had gotten with Susanna's sister, Bunny. That's the very first story thing we talked about um which is a really deep heavy heartbreaking subject and so i knew then that he was going to do this yeah wow do you know if anybody else like before you expressed any interest in writing about him or i you know what i that's a great question i well you know what there's some guys in england two guys in england i can't think of their names but they wrote a little book about guy called song builder but it was more like a fan, like a thin kind of fan book. They did interview Guy, you know, but it wasn't like a deep dive into his whole life and career. Um, right. But I don't know that anybody had tried, had approached him about doing a serious academic book before. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so I think I read too that you, um, like you spent quite a bit of time down in Texas doing research. Um, so, so did you go to like, Monahans and Rockport and all those places. I did. I spent well. I spent like a few days in Monahans. Guy's family hadn't been there in so many years that it was difficult to, you know. I mean, I got what I needed, but there just wasn't much of a trace of them left there. But I went to Rockport many times, many times because the family still lives there, and the house is still there, and all their archives is still there. Uh, and Rockport's a beautiful little beach town, so there was a, you know. Uh, <laughs> I always looked for an excuse to go. Um, yeah. And I, I, I've been to Rockport many, many times uh, between the book and the film. And, and uh, I love it there. Went there with Guy, traveled all through Texas with Guy. Um, oh, wow. Okay. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, I worked on the book for eight years. So we, you know, uh, Guy and I spent a lot of time together. We were joined at the hip for a long time. That's amazing. That sounds like a great tour guide, great road trip as well. Yeah. Wow. And, and so you just, you know, interviewed as many people as you could, you could down there type of thing. I interviewed for my entire book, I interviewed 200 people and I didn't need to interview 200 people, but I didn't know what I was doing. So I did interview 200 people. Um, so when it came time to write, you know, I had way more than I needed. Mostly, though, you know, I told the story from Guy's point of view as much as possible. And then 
anybody that could come in and, uh, co- you know, corroborate what guys said, I brought them in, you know, but it was, I was trying to tell guys and Susanna's story. Um, so the most important interviews I did were with Guy, and that was a lot of hours. Yeah. So when you said earlier that, like, you know, it's not necessarily about the awards, it's about the work, is is that the kind of work that you love doing, like just sort of digging up all that stuff? Oh, yeah, I'd do, I'd do research all day long, every day, if somebody would pay me for it, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I really, you know, like, everybody makes fun of me. Like, I just went to, I just went to Paris for the first time in May and um, Pierre Lachey, the the cemetery there, that's all I wanted to do was just stay in the cemetery, you know, the whole thing. Yeah. And my friends were like, come on, you got to leave the cemetery, you know? <laughs> um, but I just love that, you know, finding the stories and the history and the, um, I love cemeteries and libraries are my favorite places. So yes, I am a nerd. Just a deep curiosity. Love it. Yeah. I love, I, I love research. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, so in so you're in Paris. I, I think I heard you talk about that. Um were were you over there with your husband? He he works with Bruce Springsteen, right? Yeah. Yeah. So they're in they're in Europe. They're still in Europe. And um normally we don't get much of a heads up and I have my own business, so I can't just take off, you know, on a lark anytime I want. But we knew a year in advance that they were gonna be in Europe this summer. And so I thought I have a year to plan this. So I went to Europe for five weeks. First, my, I've I've been to Italy before, but not anywhere else. So it was really an amazing five weeks in Europe. Yeah. That's great. Did, Did you go to any of the shows, any of the Springsteen shows? I didn't because I've seen Bruce a bunch of times and I can see him in the States, but I'd never seen Europe. Uh, so I wanted to do that, you know, spend my time seeing Europe. I did go see Elton John in Manchester, England though. Uh, on one of his last shows. Yeah, that's fair. Um, <laughs> so I just wanted to, I just had a couple questions, like they're, maybe they're a little disjointed, but I just, you know, um, about the biography, about the doc, like I, more, I don't know, I hope they don't sound gossipy or anything. I just, I, I was just curious about Guy and Susanna and Towns's relationship and so there was a line in the doc that I forgot who said it now. It was, but I can't remember if it was Joe Harvey Allen or I can't remember now, but they said, you know, guy was sort of confident enough to not really be offended by, um, or to not be bothered too much by towns and Susanna's closeness. Um, but I, I just wanted to know your thoughts on that. Like, like, do you think that weighed on guy? Like, like do you think he, there was, quite a bit of jealousy there or do you think he accepted it or there was he accepted it and i think part of it was that towns did a lot of the heavy lifting and guy didn't have to you know guy uh guy would be a very i love guy adore him but he'd be a very hard guy to be married to and um he wants to do what he wants to do he wants to spend his time writing songs traveling to play his songs and um you know, Towns could be Susanna's, uh, you know, Towns and Susanna, from my point of view, were much more vulnerable and open people. And they had, they had each other for that guys, much more stoic. And so, you know, guy loved Towns, guy loved Susanna, Susanna loved guys, Susanna loved Towns, the Towns loved them both. You know, they all loved each other and they had a very odd 
relationship that probably wouldn't work for most people. Like my husband and I have talked about this. If there was another person that close to either of us, our marriage wouldn't make it. Um, but guy didn't look at it that way. Guy looked at it as like, okay, good. I can park Susanna over here with town so I can go do what I want that, you know, it worked for them, you know, now I think Susanna, you know, would have, would have liked, uh, to have a more closer, I mean, Susanna and guy were tight and they loved each other. I think Susanna would have liked more of guy's time and attention. And that makes me sad that her needs were not met. You know, I'm a woman. That's what I think of. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, yeah, yeah. Like I, I was kind of struck by that too. Like guys seem to have a quite a, and again, I'm speaking with uh, no knowledge at all. So just correct me if I'm wrong. But he just seemed to have a really complex personality. Like I found it kind of neat that he was more of a practical sort of no nonsense person, but he was attracted to sort of these more artsy, dreamy personalities like Towns and Susanna. Like like some folks seem to stick to their own personality types, but. Guy seemed to be fascinated by folks who were different than him, you know, like he he kind of almost sought that out in a way. He did. And he used to say, you know, he told me this multiple times that, you know, Towns would go to sleep at night and wake up and go, oh, I wrote this song in my dreams where Guy would sit at his workbench and painstakingly, you know, work on a song. And they're both valid, you know, Um I I am somewhat of a Towns fan, but I'm really, really a Guy fan. Um, okay. Well, I think, you know, I like Guy songs better. If I had, to, if I was going to be on a desert island and had to choose one or the other, I'd be going with Guy all the way. So, um, but Guy was the biggest Towns fan, you know, um, and he wanted that approval from Towns because he was such a fan of Towns. Right, right. Uh, um, did you ever meet Towns? No, I didn't. Towns, um, I got to Nashville in 95, uh, Towns died in 99 and I saw him, you know, I would see him a couple places around town, but I did not know him at all before he died. Oh, okay. And I met guy, wait a minute, Towns died in 97. Yeah. So, okay. I was only in town for two years and I met guy a year after Towns died. I met guy in 98. Right. So yeah, never met Towns. Okay. Okay. And, and uh, more toward uh, Guy and Susanna's relationship. Um, I was quite, you know, it was, it was, you know, the end of the documentary and was very moving, like hearing Rodney Crowell, you know, talk about um, having so much love for Susanna, but being so frustrated by, um, you know, the fact that she was in bed and, and, you know, on pain medication and stuff. Um, I was just wondering if, if like, did Guy, I, I guess, first of all, like, was, was Susanna ever formally diagnosed with any sort of mental health um, uh, ailment? And also, like, did Guy and Susanna ever talk about mental health, or was it something that was just sort of, you know, put in the corner? Uh, you know, I don't know. Um, and And it's hard for me to even say that Susanna had a mental health issue. Now it would seem like she did because of her behavior, but I think, and Rodney, you know, and I've talked about this, I think just she very intentionally just decided that she didn't care anymore. She was in pain from her back and then she had lung cancer and she just didn't care to try to save her own life. 
Um, so some people would say, well, that's really mentally unhealthy, but some people would say, well, that's just her deciding, you know? Yeah. Um, so I, I don't know the answer to that question. Um, guys, certainly he and I, in all of our conversations didn't talk about mental health in that way. You know, he would say that he wished Susanna would go see a new doctor and try to get her back fixed and, um, get out of bed, you know, but we never, you know, we never broached, uh, anything deeper than, you know, like her trying to uncover things. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for speaking on that. I know it's kind of touchy, but I I, I was just, yeah, I was just wondering sort of what guys. they're, They're also in that generation, you know, that like, I think, uh, my generation and younger, we're open to talking about mental health, you know, but the gener- guy and my mom were born the same year. And that is just a topic that it seems like that generation, you just be stoic and you move on with your life, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, for sure. I mean, my, my dad was born in 46 and I, uh, I get that for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I was also just wondering like, like when she was, you know, you know, in, in sort of just in bed, did did she keep her diaries up? You know, during those last years? No, no, not at all. Eh? Okay, okay. Uh, um, and was was guy? Um, would you say he was leaned more frustrated or more compassionate at at her toward the end? Like, oh, I think it toward the end he was definitely more compassionate. But I mean, I think he went back and forth, frustration, compassion, frustration, compassion, you know, but as she got, you know, those last couple of years of her life, I would see them, you know, I I was over at the house all the time because we were working on the book and um, he was very tender with her, you know, and a journalist uh, was interviewing him about, you know, during this time, I guess when my favorite picture of you was coming out, the last album he did. And, um, the the title track is about a picture of Susanna. And so the, the journalist was, you know, asking guy about Susanna and he was talking about how she's been in bed all these years and how frustrated. And the journalist said, well, do you ever think about divorcing her? And guy was going, no, you know, of course not. <laughs> you don't do that. You know, right. Um, he was in it for the long haul and he loved her. You know, he, he absolutely loved her, but you know, I mean, we all have people in our lives, you know, that we can love and they, there's behaviors that, you know, drive us crazy, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. Well, thanks for all that. Um, I, I'll just end here with uh, just a few lighter questions. I was just, I was just kind of more interested in um, uh, just some stuff about you. Like, d- did you ever have any ambition as a songwriter, like, or just interest in music as a listener? Just interested in music as a listener. I always thought, you know, I'm a journalist and songwriting to me seems very magical and being a musician seems very magical. And I don't think I wanted to go there and find out it wasn't. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I can just be, you know, other people's uh, talent is just a magical gift for me. Um, Yeah. So, no, I never had any interest in that. Right. Okay. Um, And and do you read a lot much music journalism yourself like do you have any favorite music journalists or or maybe favorite like music biographies or anything yeah i mean i especially when i was working on the guidebook i read a lot i i don't anymore because i just 
need a break from it. But um, uh, I love Alana Nash. Um, she's written, you know, several books about Elvis Presley. And um, I love uh, Peter Gorelnik, who's also written about Elvis, but wrote yeah. about um, Sam Phillips and Sun Records and Sam Cooke. And um, let's see, what else? Oh, um, I, I love Johnny Cash's autobiography i think it was really beautifully done um i don't know you know now that i'm now that it's been a few years i can't even remember everything that i've read yeah um, that's okay those are that's that's some good stuff um oh elton john's autobiography is my favorite okay okay i better re- i gotta hands read down. that one then. Hands all down. Right. yeah <laughs> all right cool um and what do you enjoy the most do you think like um do you enjoy and I know you said it was a lot of hard work and and whatnot, but do you enjoy writing? Do you enjoy filmmaking, producing, uh, any other work that you do? Could, could you pick a favorite? Well, I would put filmmaking last for sure. I, I, you know, learned a lot making a film and I got to collaborate with some wonderful people and that was fun. But filmmaking is really, really hard, really hard. Yeah. Uh, and there's so much involved and it's so expensive and you can't do it by yourself. So um, producing you can't do by yourself, but you can do it in a shorter time frame and it's much easier and it's fun. So I love that. And writing, um, I love the research part. The writing is really hard, but I, it's something that you can do alone at your own pace, you know. So um, they they all have pluses and minuses. I did like the collaboration with filmmaking. I don't know. You know, I'm glad that I've done everything I've done. Um, But I don't know that, you know, I don't know what I'll do next. I don't know that I'll ever produce a record again because people don't spend money on music. So you can't, you know, it's hard to justify production costs. Yeah. And um, I'm never going to make another film. I'm pretty unless somebody drops millions of dollars in my lap, and I can hire <laughs> the best people. Um, and you know, I I may write another book, but it would be memoir. It won't be uh, somebody's biography. Right. So I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Okay. I don't. You know, I'd like to. I'd like to do something creative, but I just don't know what that is yet. The pandemic kind of sapped my creative energy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, any contemporary songwriters that you like today working in Nashville or anywhere for that matter? Um, well, Brandy Carlisle doesn't live in Nashville, but I love her. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, I, there's a lot of young songwriters that you've probably never heard of that I love. Uh, Brennan Lee. Yeah. She's yep. wonderful. Do you know Brennan? Yeah. Brennan and Noel McKay. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Love Brennan. Let's see. I love, um, I'm trying to think of, I still love the chicks. Yeah. Nice. Normally the Dixie chicks. I, I love, um, Gretchen Peters. I don't know if you know who she is. Yeah. I know of her. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, you know, I, I listen to a lot of, um, I guess I, this is my age too. I listen to a lot of music that has been with me my whole life. I'm not, I'm no longer at a, place in my life where I'm discovering music. Right. Yeah. Intentionally going out to discover it. I might discover it, you know, accidentally, but um, I'm not in a music discovery place in my life. Um, And I'm okay with that because I have enough music to listen to for the rest of my life that I'll never get bored. Yeah. Um, I hear that. Yeah. Yeah. I I really love that 
Brennan Lee album. It just came out a month or two ago or whatever it was. Yeah. But um, yeah, that's that's really great. She's uh, and I love all her stuff. Like she's got a bunch of records out, and they're all fabulous. You know. Yeah, and I, and I think back in June she just maybe played the Opry for the first time or something. Yeah, yeah. 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 So that was really cool. She's from Minnesota. Oh wow! Okay, okay. I didn't know that. <laughs> um, all right. So thanks, Tamara. Um, one more. I thought I heard you in an interview talk about doing maybe a bit of research on like a, a potential book about the Americana genre. It, it, did I, yeah. Is there anything, any updates on that? Or? Well, what I'm doing and I don't know if I'll ever finish it quite frankly, but I'm working on it. I am, I've been in a pretty good writing role is I'm writing a memoir about my journey through the Americana music business. Okay. So, I'm sort of Forrest Gump <laughs> you know, and it's about, it's about the start of the Americana organization and the chart and all the people I've worked with. And, you know, so it's definitely memoir. It's and with history, kind of an oral history memoir. It's not me going out and um, covering all the Americana acts or anything like that. Okay. I see. Well, I, I look forward to that. If it, uh, if it comes out because uh, because yeah I've torn through all of your writing so far and I've loved it thank you very much Tamara for your time I, uh, I really enjoyed this and uh, yeah look forward to what you do next for sure thank you take care right. have a good night thanks bye bye where's your pelling with some feel it is with middle dancing in a tie-dye dress In a Rocky Mountain rain came, they all got soaking wet. She wound up with a backstage pass, hanging with the pickers in the band. Till her heart got broke by a banjo man, now she's had all the bluegrass she can stand. Suitcase sitting by her side And she had no destination She was just looking for a ride So he pulled up in a Mustang She got in they just rode away Into the sunset, mascara running down her face. Standing in the rain in the Rango, right side of wrong, wrong side of gone. Standing in the rain 
some cowboy lasso and I can take her home. Standing. 